Good evening and welcome to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You are here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. I'm very happy to be here tonight with Tobe Johnson and Brett Eichenberger. They have some amazing things to talk about, but before we get into that, I would ask that you please hit that thumbs up and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to. Also, don't forget to leave a review, drop a comment. Um, We recently brought back the Nightcaller's archives on YouTube. That is the beginning of Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio from 2009. We've got brand new episodes. Well, they're old, but they're brand new to to most people. We are uploading those every other week that I don't have a live show. So you guys go check those out. If you hear a guest that you really would love to have come back on Nightcaller's, drop a comment, let us know. Also, uh, the Nightcaller's crew, we would like to offer our condolences to Linda Godfrey's family and friends. Um, We heard of her passing recently and we'd like to offer our condolences. And in honor of her memory, we are uploading the show that we did with her back in 2009. It was our 20th episode of Night Colors. And we are uploading that and we'll have it on air tonight uh, so that you guys can go listen to her legacy. So thank you so much, everybody, for your support. And now we're going to go live with the show. All right. How are you guys doing tonight? Hello, Lauren. Great. <laughs> good. Good. All right. So we were having a little bit of audio issues. Sorry for being late, everybody. Um, we got Tobes figured out, but Brett is kind of, um, he's got a delayed audio, but he's still able to speak to us. So we're going to, you know, get our Ouija boards out and make sure that he can, you know, do what we got to do to get him on air. <laughs> Sounds good. Unfortunately, I am not good at sign language, so wing it by talking. <laughs> Just wing it. Wing it. We can play charades the rest of the night. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I wanted to have you guys on. You guys recently, um, on top of Tobe's other accomplishments, um, you guys released a documentary called A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Yep. <laughs> that. And... Right. Um, Yes. So I, I'm going to get into that. I want y'all to tell me about it. But first, I kind of want to get into how each of you got into this topic. Um, what got you started in the topic? Uh, we'll start with Tobe and then I'll move on to Brett. But uh, Tobe, if you could tell me how you got started on this topic, this mystery. Lauren, thanks for having me on the show. Um, am I coming through? You can hear me yes. okay? You sound okay. great. <laughs> hey, um, it started with you, Lauren. It started with your show, really. Um you know, I was sitting in a little studio apartment on Willamette Street in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, the internet really was just taking off to the point where people were able to broadcast things like podcasts. So um, I, I had a good enough connection back then to connect with Nightcaller's radio uh, back in 2008, 2009 timeframe, things started taking off. And um, I think it was a weekly show. At least it felt like it was a weekly show back then. And at the behest of uh, listening to shows like yours and and uh, coming across, um, you know, my my first set of evidence with my son in the little mm-hmm. town of Springfield, Oregon, which was a, a single trackway heading into the Blackberry Brum, uh, Brambles. It really nice. just got this uh, internal monologue going of what if. But... Um, yeah, I, this is so cool for me to be on Nightcaller's radio after all these years. And um, so, yeah, it started with uh, you know the basic interest of living in Oregon 
the subject of Sasquatch was not unfamiliar at all to any Oregonian, especially, right. you know, where I lived. But to come across the trackway with my son and say, you know, what if really, um, you know, we took a photograph of it. We shopped this photograph around to uh, a couple of pe people that had um, a longer interest in Sasquatch than we did. And they said, right. yeah, they exist. And um, I said, that's great because that's the coolest thing ever. And they said, if you want to interview somebody that has seen one, then I can set you up with a day to sit down with this guy. He's seen them on multiple occasions. And I said, well, wait a second. You've seen, he's seen them on multiple occasions. He's like, yeah, he's seen them more than once. And that was a new thing for me because I figured you could be a witness, but I didn't know you could be an extended experience or a Sasquatch contactee or whatever. You could see them on multiple occasions. Right. And so there begins my interest and the difference of my interest compared to a lot of Bigfooters is this belief that A, you can see them and you could possibly see them on multiple occasions and the the consequences of seeing them on multiple occasions, the behavior that existed, uh, exhibits itself on multiple occasions is different than if you see them on a single occasion, generally speaking, especially if they come to your, your property. Mm -hmm. And that's how Brett uh, and I met, was him basically hearing about my experience uh, living on a ranch uh, in Cottage Grove, Oregon, where there was this constant contact Mm -hmm. happening between the property owners. That's pretty amazing. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't believe that you can have those multiple experiences. Um, I, I, I would say that I would probably be one of those people that would be hard pressed to, because I, in the 20 years I've been doing this with my mother, I've never had a sighting. And it's hard for me to have gone out that much and not had a sighting. And I've had kind of crisis of faith there for a while where I'm like, I don't even believe in them. I don't believe they're real because I've never seen them. But my mother, she has had multiple encounters. And so I was raised with her having those encounters. And so I grew up believing being more open to people who have had multiple encounters. I'm more open to that when they tell me now, when they get up there, you know, I saw five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 Sasquatch. I, I have that knee jerk reaction of, Oh, I don't know. But, <laughs> right. um, but then I think back to my mom has had multiple, multiple sightings and that's over a span of 20 years, but, um, right. some of them were on her property. So mm -hmm. I, it's, it's very hard to be open to that whenever this, this phenomena is so mysterious to begin with um, and right. uncontrollable almost. So, mm -hmm. exactly. So, uh, it says a lot about you that you were open to that so early in your research. Right. Yeah. And it would, you know, you have to have that skepticism about the witness seeing them multiple times, but um, there's something different about them coming to the property. A, it's repeatable because you know where the property is and you can kind of lock things down. So that was intriguing part to me, just like, well, this is something that we can kind of vet together. You know, if mm -hmm. I can come here and, and research this area here and be with you as these experiences happen, then maybe we can start to understand what's what's happening here. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. So um, you've been doing this for a while. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask, have you had a sighting, first of all? Right. Yeah. Well, I had had a sighting. Um, my son had a sighting more so than I did while I was with him. Mm -hmm. But um, I did end up having 
whatever happened, it, I can't call it anything other than a Sasquatch from the ability that it had and the size it was, but it wasn't a clear enough image for me to say I saw the face of a Bigfoot coming at me or anything like that. Right. But I saw an appendage. I saw something from uh, about the shins down, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, about 30 yards away. But the property owner of the story, the Al Moon Lab, had ended up seeing, uh, you know, Sasquatch. And um, so did many of the people that lived around the property. So it was those kind of experiences that, you know, made me lean on the fact that, hey, there's something here happening. Mm -hmm. These people are emotionally involved with the story here. And that's kind of what this documentary is really all about, is the emotional consequence of having an experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you covered that. That was something that, um, along with the historical um, significance and the indigenous cultures and the part that uh, Bigfoot plays with that, the emotional impact is something that, so I've given several speeches in psychology classes actually about Bigfoot um, and about how how the psychology plays into it, how it can change your life for better or worse. Um, mm. It's ended marriages. It's caused people to lose their jobs. It's caused families to break up. I mean, it's, it, it can, having a Bigfoot sighting can have an extreme impact on your life and people don't really, they laugh about it. They're like, Oh, well it's fake. So it doesn't matter. And I, I'm, I always tell them like, okay, um, it's the six degrees of Bigfoot you know somebody who has had a sighting and guarantee you every time two people will raise their hand and say my cousin's girlfriend had a sighting and i'm like there's that many people that have had a sighting and i guarantee you it impacted them emotionally enough to where they told whoever that told you exactly um so how would you say that your research has changed from when you first started getting into the subject to now well, I don't look for them anymore. I mean, I used to run around the woods falling up on old sightings and, mm -hmm. and hoping a new sighting would happen for me. But that gets old, you know, after about 10 years, especially it gets really old when you when yeah, you get back to, to ancillary evidence that's 10 or 15 years old, some of it longer. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful to get out in the woods and do something. And yes, you still have um, you have this peripheral issue a Bigfoot stuff still happening while you're camping, but I mean, no one's really ever having a sighting. And so I, I just quit looking and, um, you know, investing my time in, in other projects, but uh, inevitably it was going out to these extended experiencers places and say, Hey, you know, I'm inviting you to come out here and see contact happen. This is the way we experience contact. And if you're willing to take a leap of faith, then, um, you know, maybe you won't have a full on sighting, but you can have an experience. And those mm -hmm. experiences seem to amp up over your time at the property. And then eventually uh, you may have a, a sighting. You may have a lot more than that. That's amazing. Um, so I guess let me rephrase the question. How has your mindset changed? Clearly it went from you know, following up on sightings to mm -hmm. this, but how has your mindset changed? Uh, for instance, um, when most people start out, they think flesh and blood. Oh, okay. um, so gotcha. many people by the end of it feel that there is something more to the topic. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the something more category. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'll keep it PG rated here for you, Patterson Gimlin rated. But we can uh, <laughs> we can go into Bonkersville if you want. Um, the book it's is up pretty. To you guys. Yeah, my book, uh, The Al Moon Lab: A Paranormal Experiment, is a paranormal mm -hmm. experience and experiment. Um, there's this, uh, you know, other st stuff that's coming out in part two of this documentary that comes okay. out. I can say, can I, Brett, Memorial Day, 2023, and. So it, we talk more about that, but there is um, there's quite a bit of uh, what I would call the supernatural related to Sasquatch phenomena. Mm -hmm. And it started for me with, you know, the existence of the lights in and around the proximity of where Bigfoot locations exist. Mm -hmm. And those lights, you know, we could go on and on about those, but um, we're talking about, you know, bioluminescent lights in and around the proximity of where Sasquatch is. And then it just snowballed down into the, the rabbit hole after that with all of the other stuff that goes into these, um, what I would call window areas where the supernatural exists often, especially mm -hmm. in these extended experiencers uh, proximity or their homes. And so, that's what this book is about. It's about our experience living in a place like that. That's pretty amazing. Um, you know, a few years ago, if you catch my older shows, I balk so hard at mm -hmm. anything that's not, you know, science, flesh and blood. Um, but oh, it seems like the universe, whenever you do that, the universe is like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm mm -hmm. going to show you something that's going to make you eat your crow. Um, <laughs> and so I had my own orb experience and I was so mad when it happened because I was like, no, like, I don't want this to be true. So, right. I mean, like they say, everything is supernatural until we figure out more about it. And then it becomes exactly. natural. Yeah. Everything, you know, electricity was supernatural before we figured right. it out and it became natural. So um, there's definitely something more to the phenomena. I, I would love to solve one mystery before moving on to the next, but um, I think it's all intertwined and we've just got to separate the pieces and figure it out. But well I'm said. really glad mm -hmm. that you guys are working to bring that knowledge to the masses. I appreciate you for doing that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamie King definitely appreciates you. I love Jamie and Jenny. They're amazing people. Um, you said there's something more to it, and he, he said something more. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, okay, so we've, we've talked about um, your book. Can you tell us a little bit about what all um, is involved in your book? Um, kind of what made you decide to go ahead and, and put everything down on paper, and uh, what can we... What can, what, can we, what can we expect from the book? <laughs> sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, it starts with uh, the origin of the story. I don't mention Night Callers by name, but it really did start uh, in a little tiny studio in Eugene, Oregon, listening to podcast uh, back in 2008, and then coming up uh, uh, with you know a subsequent find with my son in a little town of Springfield, Oregon, which looked like a trackway. And um, then we just take a tour from there on why I chased after the subject, uh, the, the people though that I, I got to know along the way that kind of steered me in directions of how to pursue the subject and, and where to go and who to talk to. And, um, you know, you'll see my struggle to kind of figure out, do I go flesh and blood? Do I go full Tom Powell? 
do I how do I lean in this direction here mm-hmm. of understanding the the quantum Bigfoot and you know what are the consequences of doing so, <laughs> and um, that's that's when we end up in Cottage Grove, Oregon, which is mainly what this book is about, and. Um, you know, I lean heavily towards there being a paranormal link to this phenomena just based upon the amount of evidence that came slamming at us 24-7 at this mm-hmm. property. It was just undeniable for me. And um, so the, what makes this book different is it has QR codes embedded in it. So as, as you go along, you can experience the data as it comes. There's like, I think there's over... 40 or 50 different QR codes in the book. And um, it was published by, you know, Doug Hycheck of Monster Quest. Mm-hmm. And so Doug uh, took pretty good care of me and got the book out there. So we're having fun with it. And that's when I met Brett is um, through the story here and uh, invited me to, to be a part of the documentary. So I'm a co-producer of this amazing documentary uh, along with uh, him and his uh, wife, Jill Remensnyder. And it's just been a, a real blessing for me. That's amazing. Oh, I love the QR codes. Uh, that's that's something that, you know, we've had so many amazing works published over the years, but adding that piece to it, mm-hmm. you know, it's just because there are a lot of um, a lot of published works out there about Bigfoot now, but adding that piece to it is amazing. I'm very happy to hear that. Um, and Doug Hycheck, he's an amazing person. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah from Bigfoot Society said the EVPs that you hear in this book are incredible. Yeah, Jeremiah is a good guy. I think I know. Yeah. I think I know Jeremiah here. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremiah. Yeah. yeah. JB, he's a great, great guy. Okay. Um, let me see if I have any questions from the chat about the the book. I think everybody's just raving. Um, raving about the book and raving about the documentary and they just uh kevin morrison said he got to meet brett at beachfoot and watch the documentary hey kevin (laughs) yeah by the way there's a ghost in my machine (laughs) yeah i can't so i'm like flying blind you're just too black square so i don't know oh really Oh, yeah. Oh, my okay. gosh. Because you keep going black on our end, and then you'll just come back and be sitting there drinking your drink like nothing's happened. Okay. This is this is weird. This is weird. Tell me, I cast together, and I've never had any problems, but um, the Have pest you... control guy came out to pick today, so I think that might be it. <laughs> Did you log into uh, <laughs> Google Chrome? Oh, it told me I had to use Safari. No, well, I'm on Google Chrome. Try that. Okay. Um, try well, that. I guess and... if you can hear me, or I can try and come back. And I can yeah, switch. if you wanna, if you wanna you try wanna that, switch. and oh, maybe I'll switch devices. That sound? Okay. I'll, yeah, switch I'll come back switch and... devices, and then I'll keep okay. pumping Tobe for information while you're gone. Okay. You guys, I'm sorry because I want to. I de- no worries. I desperately want to be a part of this. Oh yeah, I have questions. So I, will... I have yes. questions okay. for you. <laughs> okay, hang tight, guys. Okay. All right. So, how can we? Um, first of all, how can we find your book? Well, the book is uh, on sale wherever strange books are sold. You can find it online. 
and um, you can go to Hanger One Publishing if you want to go straight okay. to the publisher. That's awesome. Hanger, the number one publishing. Or you can go to Sasquatch the Legend. Um, I'm a part of that company out of Forks, Washington, home of Twilight and werewolves and vampires. Go to SasquatchTheLegend.com. You can find uh, my crazy book there as well. And we're in the pub. We're in the process of trying to put out an audiobook and um, maybe come up with an expanded edition of the Al Moon Lab here. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I've been to Forks. I was very. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. (laughs) It's a quirky little town. I I didn't. I I don't know why I didn't make the connection. And I went up there with my boys um, and Shane Corson actually he was like our tour guide and so he drove us to forks and i geeked out of course oh and yeah he, he took us to uh la push out and to the ocean and then he on the way out he turned around and he was like i figured you'd want to see this and it was the fork sign and i i fangirled oh. so <laughs> he he pegged me exactly right like i was one of those people <laughs> hi brett there Welcome we back. go okay hey can you hear me okay yes Still, is that... eh. Use your AirPods. <laughs> Logging on a really different computer. AirPods. How many computers do you have? I don't. You know what? I don't think the lag's there as much. Is that? It's not. Is that any better? Yes. Yes, I think so. Okay, I'm. Thanks. I'm... I don't look like an old jack. Dang it. Yeah, it's coming in and out. It's still Brett, unfortunately. Uh, are you logged in through um, Chrome this time? Uh, I am Safari. Um, I am hardwired. That's hmm. the thing. I am yeah. hardwired Ethernet. I'm wondering uh, if if Chrome is just more compatible with my with my um, streaming platform than yeah. than Safari is. Okay. Um, right if so, now. I need to add that to all the things that I send to you guys to get you all on my show. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't have I Chrome. It. It's a no go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Oh. You're on here twice. Okay, I'm going to minimize the first one. Okay. Okay. How's that? So that good. Seems, so that seems good. better. Yes. Better? Okay, cool. Yeah. Chrome. I'm on oh, Chrome. So exciting. Okay. All right. Now I know. Sorry. Now we all know. It's all good. I am so glad you're on here. It's. It would suck to not be able to um, ask you all the questions I have for you. <laughs> This was all a demonstration just to prove that yeah. the paranormal is in actuality real. Yeah. That's yeah. all that was. You've got yeah. some angry. You need to put some honey out in your studio. Okay? I think it proves that Google's in control of every, everything. Yeah. Also something. Yeah. yeah. There's something. There's, yeah, I don't know. This show is not sponsored by Google, however. However. <laughs> okay. So, Brett, you are also an Oregonian. Or, yes. Mm-hmm. Um. So you have been interested in this topic since you were young as well. Yeah. Yep. Since I was a little, little kid, as early as I can remember, I think. So how did you get interested in this? Part of just being an Oregonian. Um, I mean, literally, you know, growing up here in the Portland area, whether we were driving to the coast 
um, through the coast range, through the forest, or driving up to Mount Hood, or wherever it was we were going, we were traveling through forests. You don't, I mean, even in the metropolitan area, you know, and we had, we had land in the neighborhood that I grew up in. We didn't personally own land, but we had, there was, there was a bunch of woods and trees and stuff like that. And so just, I just always been a creative kid. And, and it was kind of like these, I play out these what if scenarios, you know, we'd go camping and what if Bigfoot came and got us? And, you know, my father was into all that stuff too. So he fed into it. <laughs> um, so this is a mystery that I've wanted to solve my entire life. I literally can't remember a time in my life when I didn't think about Bigfoot or want to know more about Bigfoot. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love hearing that from people, um, <clears throat> people that weren't raised up in the, in the life like I was, mm -hmm. you know, this, uh, normal everyday people that just are fascinated by this and have that burning ember, they, that curiosity, they want to know more. And yeah. because of people like you, we get documentaries and we get amazing works that kind of educate the masses, which is a big deal because there's a lot of bad information that goes out. And so to have you guys out there, you know, putting out good information and, um, educating everybody. That's amazing. That's it's amazing. one of our, it's one of our number one goals is, is to do exactly that is to get rid of the bad information, mm -hmm. kind of get rid of this. There's, there's this, um, I don't know what the right word here is, but sensationalistic, I suppose, approach mm -hmm. to yeah. this paranormal world and this, and the Bigfoot world. And there, you know, I mean, we've all heard it from friends and family, Bigfoot really, you know, mm -hmm. um, and the fact of the matter is, it's like what you guys were talking about earlier, that there is a social phenomenon going on here that sociologists call a hidden event. Whereas, you know, like you said, there's a six degrees, probably even less, two degrees of separation between those who've seen Bigfoot and those who haven't. And my question has always been, why aren't people looking into this? Why aren't the John Mack, why aren't there John Macks of the Bigfoot world? If you guys don't know who John Mack is, he was a, Harvard psychologist that took a look at alien abductions mm -hmm. and was like, wait a minute, what, these people can't all be mass hallucinating. And it's, and it's a fact. And I, and right. I think that uh, we need to really put some seriousness behind this um, subject matter. Yeah. Playing devil's advocate. Um, I'm sure you have heard from many people that the reason that we don't have that scientific backing and, and people looking into it is because of the government. Yeah, just they already know it's there and they shut it down. Any any kind of actual funding or actual attention gets shut down. Yeah, um, yeah. it's happened with other things as well. And um, so you guys keep fighting the good fight, I guess, because um, <laughs> that's kind of the only option we have. I don't think that mainstream science is going to be allowed to prove or disprove this phenomena. I, I totally, opinion. I totally agree with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. But you know, um, we need to kind of try and circumvent that um, mm -hmm. and take advantage and ride the wave of this what's going on with the UFOs right now, I yeah. think because the UFOs are kind of forging a path for us, whereas people mm -hmm. are now going, okay, yeah, I saw something I can't yes. explain in the sky. And, you know, and this is going to trickle down to Bigfoot. And I believe it already has trickled down to Bigfoot in a yeah. lot of ways and, sa and, and same yeah. goes with ghosts and everything else because yeah. everybody almost everybody has experienced something in their lives they can't explain you know if you're oh, over about absolutely. the age of 20 you mm -hmm. know oh absolutely it's and it's a lot more acceptable now because of reality tv yeah. um i always tell people when i first 
when we first started this podcast in 2009, I would not let anybody know that I believed in Bigfoot, that I was raised researching Bigfoot, that I had a podcast about Bigfoot because I was scared I was going to lose my job. And mm -hmm. when I got back from hiatus of three years, so about 2012, we had more shows out and we had, you know, the finding Bigfoot phenomena. Now, all the real researchers, they mm -hmm. hated finding Bigfoot, right? They were like, oh, that's awful. That's not how we do it. We don't go out in the woods banging on stuff and screaming. But if I brought up Bigfoot after finding Bigfoot came out, it was people would be like, oh, I saw that one show. What do you think about that? I yeah. saw that Patty film, you know, and it was more acceptable to talk about. And the stigma lessened and lessened and lessened until now people may laugh sometimes, but most of them want to have an honest and healthy debate about why I believe Bigfoot is real. And so, like you said, um, the Tic Tac video, the UFOs, um, just so many people once that Tic Tac video came out, it seems like there was a big shift. And now people, you don't feel crazy for talking about UFOs. It's widely acceptable now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, now, yeah. now we're doing the, the, the shift from the apers to the woo, because the truth of the matter is, and we say this in the very end of our documentary, you can't deny the evidence. Right. And the evidence is hundreds and thousands of people that have had these sightings that have included the orbs that have included a host of other phenomenon that people can't explain. And this is just science that we don't have techniques to measure. Essentially, we can't figure it out. We can't measure it. You know, it's it's strange. It's crazy. It's like you said about electricity. Um, you know, throughout our humanity's history, we've had all kinds of questions that have seemed supernatural or, you know, we can't explain it. Let's assign a God to it or whatever, but mm -hmm. The, the thing is, is that there's just way too many people experiencing really strange, really odd things for us to just turn around and ignore it. There's right. something else going on. There's a bigger picture. And I believe, we believe that, that you know, when I, I say we, when I speak for um, Jill and Mike Ferry, who is the cinematographer on A Flash of Beauty, we believe that Bigfoot is kind of like potentially the ambassador or the um, the host of the paranormal you can kind of get you into that world and mm -hmm. you know if you just open your mind a little bit and kind of take a serious look at it yeah there's um there's a lot more out there than we know about and i think it's quite arrogant of mankind to think that they have a grasp on everything because we have science yeah yeah and just a quick analogy just so people understand the universe is about 13.8 billion years old and if you were to take a football field, the, the one goalpost or the end of the football field would be the beginning of the universe. And where we are now is on the opposite side of the football field. And humanity has existed about the width of a human hair at the end of the football field. Mm -hmm. That's it. We just, we literally just, just showed up. Right. So what else has happened in that 13.8 billion years, what else has transpired? What other civilizations have come and gone? What other knowledge has been lost? What other um, things and beings are out there that have been around for a tenth of that amount of time? So right. we're babies. <laughs> we're babies. That's a good analogy. Um, I like that. Yeah, we, mankind, I think we're all control freaks. And we just, we want to say that we are the apex predators. We're the 
top of the food chain, so we have to control everything. And if we have to say that any of this exists and we can't control it, then it, you know, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you have done quite a few different works. You've done documentaries, you've done commercials, like you've done a lot of different things. Have you ever done anything like Flash of Beauty before? No, this is kind of my first um, foray into this world. It's been something I've always wanted to do, but okay. um, I've always kind of stuck to the more of the narrative. I've always kind of trended towards a documentary style of filmmaking mm -hmm. um, because I, I, I like the realism to it. Um, but no, this is the first nonfiction, quote unquote, paranormal piece I've done yeah yeah I figured that was the case it was I I figured it was quite a departure from the norm for you mm -hmm. um was that intimidating was that kind of scary to put yourself out there into something that you're interested in but is outside your norm yes and no I think it would have been you know like if I were like a mainstream studio director or something like that I think it would have been a little bit scarier to take that hard right if you will but um in this particular scenario, I was, I've, I've just been so, so confident in Bigfoot being real and existing after, after doing the prior research. And we did, you know, it's like Jill and I were kind of sort of in, in this community for years before we decided to do a documentary on it. And so we didn't jump into the pool head first. We really waded into the pool and we ultimately grabbed a cocktail and hung around and got the <laughs> You know, so um, so we felt really comfortable. It's like if people were going to come at me and go, are you serious? Are you really you're really doing this? You're doing a Bigfoot documentary. I really felt good that I could come back and say, yeah, they're real. And here's all the reasons why they're real. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's amazing that you are bringing a passion and a lifetime of curiosity into this rather than just kind of jumping on the documentary bandwagon you know because we we have had an influx of documentaries all of them have been great honestly um mm -hmm. i've i've seen very few that i was like oh, i don't know but um i think it's amazing that you finally got to turn your life's curiosity into this into a work yeah. one of your works that's amazing yeah and you you know they say in filmmaking they always say you know don't do a project if you're not passionate about it don't do it if you're not in love with it because you know, people tend to think of, oh, movie makers and movie stars and millions of dollars. That's not how it works. That's just not how it works. This is a film that we paid for out of our pocket, knowing that we may not make our investment back. And so it's never been about any sort of financial rewards. It's been about personal rewards and a personal journey and finding out the truth and knowing that we have, we all have a short time on this planet. There's things that we want to do, things we want to find out, mysteries we want to solve. And so that's, you know, we were very, and still very fortunate to be able to have the skill set that we have that enables us to be able to tell these types of stories and to, to meet people and to go places, you know, across the country to, to, to tell a, a fuller story, if you will, about the sensation everywhere. Right. Um, I think bringing what you guys do to it, you know, the um, significance of the indigenous cultures. There's been, there's been a couple of people that have covered that because it's, um, it's very prevalent in Bigfoot history. Yeah. Um, but also the emotional impact, as we already talked about, that you guys cover that is, is a big deal because a lot of documentaries, they, they tell the person's 
um, experience, but they don't quite get across how life-changing it was. They say the words, this was a life-changing event, but it's not, <laughs> they don't bring across just how much this can wreck or change your life. You're never the same after this encounter. You yeah. know, uh, my mom, she had her first encounter. My life was changed. So, I mean, it's like a butterfly effect. She had this encounter realize there's something in the woods that's not supposed to be there that's not supposed to be real and from her having that encounter she made friends she made you know this show i instead of going to you know the beach for the summer i was out in the woods looking for scat and prints and <laughs> and tree bows and everything else i was you know a little kid standing on the back of a four-wheeler holding a tape measure against a tree like i was out there collecting evidence and data and doing we did a spreadsheet on moon cycles. And so I was entering data as a little kid into the spreadsheet, wow. you know, so like her <laughs> That's awesome. experience was so impactful that it changed my life even. So, well, your guys is butterfly effect over here to the West coast. Cause right. <laughs> here I was, I was a theater major at the university of Oregon learning tech design for, for, um, at the U of O and, <clears throat> your stories were just so compelling and mm -hmm. it it totally had an effect on me and then my kid yeah yeah so you have a second gen um, yeah. coming up which is yeah. a presentation that i give is the next generation of researchers and how we mm -hmm. have to it's our duty to bring them up um and so one of the things that i talk about which i think y'all's works will support is i bring them up to be kind and to be open-minded but to be skeptical. All of those things we need so badly in the Bigfoot community. We we need to be kind, first of all. Straight yes, up. Yes, amen. Yeah, <laughs> we absolutely. need to be open-minded and we need to be skeptical at the same time, but not so much that we get tunnel vision and don't see the forest for the trees, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to work we need to work together. And that was one, one of the bigger things that, that we kind of encountered, you know, early on in the documentary. I won't get into it too much, but yeah, we saw some of the, the division in this group, you know, the clickishness, if you will, I guess. Um, and that was kind of sad to see, but I, we understand it. We understood it. Um, and that's going to continue. That's just kind of human nature to a certain extent. But I think if we're all to get, we all get together and agree that we, that Bigfoot is an actual being that's out there. Let's start comparing notes and seeing what we can accomplish together as a group. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, each group has, I've always said this, each group has something about the way they research that is awesome. So I'm an independent researcher. I don't belong to any specific group because none of them get along. And I just, ugh. so I research with a lot of different groups and each one has this one thing about it. You know, this one has a handbook that they use and this is, you know, their structure on how they research and they've conducted experiments and they've had wild success. This group does this, this group does this. And if we all shared notes on what works and what doesn't for each area, because I, I believe that geographical areas have a lot to do with it too. Bigfoot yeah. down here are going to be a lot different than Bigfoot up there. Um, but I think if we all compared notes and work together, like, hey, we did this experiment with noise during cold weather, and this is how far it traveled. And so the Bigfoot would have to be this far away for it to travel this far on a 40 degree night. And if we shared that with someone over here, we could have really great results. But 
I'm mm-hmm. beating a dead horse because it, it's probably not going to change. <laughs> yeah, Mankind right. is the way it is. <laughs> However, it would be amazing if the next generations to come up took a page out of our books here and started working together. Yeah. 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 Kevin, I think I know you're going to yeah. I think you will see that too, because this generation that has grown up uh, has access now to the fact that UFOs are real. Mm-hmm. And I think that growing up, you know, with the giggle factor behind there being uh, a UFO sighting, which was a very common thing to have. You didn't need mm-hmm. to be in the woods to have it. You could be anywhere in the world, but yet um, that giggle factor, uh, even from pilots reporting it uh, mm-hmm. to anybody in the military reporting it, it just seems so taboo. And that, that crossover to a Sasquatch experience, I think is going to uh, leave an effect now for people to say, Hey, you know, what if, this phenomena probably does exist in some form. Does it exist? How, you know, Tobe saying it happens here in the book. We we don't we don't know, but we can we can share notes. Right. Yeah, I think with it being more accepted and and honestly, this next generation, they're just more open minded anyways and <laughs> accepting. They don't have the um, same issues that my generations have had. My generation's more open, but generations before me, they're kind of closed-minded. It's, you know, I'm very proud of how far we've come in all of that. Um, There are people doing things in the Bigfoot world now that I, 20 years ago when my mom and I started this, I couldn't imagine them talking about I couldn't imagine someone walking up. I remember the first time we had somebody on the show that talked about portals or cloaking. Uh, we almost lost a co-host over that. They could, they were so offended <laughs> that we had that person on and that they talked about that. They almost quit the show. It took everything we had to keep that person on the show. And whenever um, I was, I started uploading older shows on a new series that I'm doing with archived episodes. I actually had someone message me and they're like, have you had so-and-so on? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, I want to have him on my show so bad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like we almost lost a co-host over that guy. Like, you know, um, but back then you didn't talk about cloaking. You didn't talk about portals. You didn't talk about gifting. You didn't talk about habituation. You didn't talk about anything mind speak, which telepathy is a is already a word that's one of my pet peeves the mind speak is so redundant to me but you didn't talk about that then but now these kids are being raised with there could be something there could be something to this um quantum bigfoot you know question for tobe is Mm -hmm. (laughs) really jb you had to bring up the person that we almost lost a co-host over He was the one that asked me in the message, have you ever had this guy on? I'm like, yes. Um, At the time, it was not okay. But now, yes. Um, Is Franzonia as cool cool in real life as he is in drumming for Bigfoot? (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, I mean, this is the voice that I almost got the co-host? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we almost this, lost a co-host over Henry. Yeah, I'm it not may have it, it may have been that episode <laughs> that sent me down the rabbit hole for My everything past. that would happen, consequences of hearing Henry Franzoni. Yes. Um, I was so floored by that episode. We'll just say it was that episode. Probably that was. It, <laughs> um, you know, Henry started talking about how Bigfoot blew up his starter 
and gin and Tillamook. Yes. Um, and how Bigfoot was laughing at him and his wife, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in and around the same area. It was so bizarre, so kooky, so Art Bell-esque that it was so good. I mean, I just like, mm -hmm. if, if it can be this cool, I want to have an experience like this guy. And Henry was just kind of this relaxed voice. And yeah. he was kind of reluctant and relaxed. And it's just like, oh, you know, this is like an old rocker or something like. And he was like <laughs> yeah. an old drummer, yeah. professional drummer. Well, Henry and I uh, struck up this friendship. And um, so he is a part of this book, this the, the Al Moon Lab. Um, he's a significant part as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. He was only out there for less than a day uh, on this property, uh, not really even researching, just hanging out. But yet there was this interaction that happened an undeniable interaction after after he left that seemed to tip its hat to the fact that henry's not crazy and that uh the <laughs> phenomena was acknowledging him and i won't give it away but um there's some audio that happens that seems to tip its hat at, at franzoni and i call it the franzoni effect and um it's he's just a super interesting cool guy and i think we can expect uh him in this doc well i know he's in flash of beauty part one i assume he's in part two right brett he's in part two yeah he's in part two some of the things that he had to say were profound you know we felt and so um yeah you'll be seeing him again absolutely awesome well i know jeremiah will be very excited to hear that <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> You know, he was the first person that we had come on and talk about anything paranormal uh, to do with Bigfoot. That was just not something that was talked about back then. It really wasn't. You could barely talk about Bigfoot, much less, um, oh, hey, Bigfoot has superpowers. Um, and that's why they can hide from us so well. Or that's why, you know, they can put thoughts into your mind or they can control electronics or, you know, mechanics mm -hmm. around you. Stuff like that was just, you know it was hard to even talk about infrasound, which mm. is a phenomenon that's happened to me many, many times, um, enough to where I can identify it now when I'm in the woods, I can identify when it's happening. And usually the people around me can identify it. And it's more acceptable now because we know that bigger animals can do something along those lines. So they're like, oh, well, it's okay because science said it was. And I'm mm. like, but this is a thing that, you know, it causes different <clears throat> reactions in people. I've had a fight reaction. I've had a flight reaction. I've had, um, now I identify it as an anxiety reaction. It feels very much like an anxiety attack, but I've had it hit me to where I was so lethargic, whereas I was so terrified a few moments before, but then I would just become lethargic and I would honestly just like slump down in my seat and be ready to go to sleep. Mm. Whereas That's right before that I was begging to leave. Mm -hmm. So, um, infrasound, yeah, being zapped, Basically, it's uh, it's been called being zapped and for sound, um, you know, and it affects different people different ways. And I always thought it affected smaller people differently or women differently. But um, I have a friend, Stephen Hill, and he's a very large dude and he felt it just like I did. And it was mm -hmm. directed right at both of us. He turned around and it affected him his back, it was like mm. tenfold on his back. Like they were trying to push him mm. to get away from them. Like mm -hmm. you need to leave anyway. But that was something, even infrasound, you could barely talk about it until mm. recent years. Now, Lauren, would you say, would you agree that infrasound is selective to mm -hmm. super selective? Like, yeah. you know, it's not, 
you, you would picture something naturally fanning out mm-hmm. as it comes out of the being in order to right. push a crowd away or something like that. Right. But that's not what happens. It, it seems like mm-hmm. it, they could target an individual. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. So how do you I've, how do yeah. we explain that by yeah. traditional scientific biological methods? And see, I don't think you can. I used to think mm-hmm. that the people that felt it were more sensitive than other mm-hmm. people. Um, I think that my personal theory, of course, um, I still believe that to an extent. But right. I, my mother has had experiences with people who are not very sensitive and they felt it before. They just didn't know what they were feeling. Um, right. And she went and stood behind them and she couldn't feel it anymore. So scientifically, I have no idea how to explain that. Um, you know, if yeah. you go down I the mean, rabbit These are the kind of bit, curious questions that, yeah. that we have. And I think... Um, you know, back then, like you said, it was taboo to ask those questions like, well, it has right. to be, you know, it has to be infrasound because a lion can do it. And then this is a biological creature. But, you know, the Native Americans never really said that there's something else going on between these creatures walking between two worlds. Mm-hmm. And it's very uncomfortable for us to understand through our linear timeline to agree. And that's when a voice like Henry Franzoni comes in and says, <laughs> come this strange way, my son, and I will teach you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are turning uh, more to the paranormal because we're not getting answers from science. And so I've had this happen to me, this phenomena. I mean, so many times I've had it to where, you know, I've just been sitting there and I'm like, whew, whew, do you feel that? Man, I'm so anxious right now. My goodness. To where the last time it happened, I literally could not keep my feet. This it's very embarrassing. I turned and ran. I, I well, I, I tried to not run, so I kind of skipped. But I almost ran my mother over to get away <laughs> from the feeling of whatever I thought was coming at me. It was mm. so strong, and having an experience like that mm-hmm. makes you. If there's somebody that has the answers to the questions. I'm asking about what happened to me and that person is on the other side of the paranormal line. I'm going to go and find my answers because I, I want to know, I want to know why I'm affected by infrasound so much. I want to know why it affects me the way it does. I want to know, like, I want to know these, these answers. Um, people that have seen the orbs, like I, I want to know, I want to know why the orbs happen. Do they happen? Are they drones? Are, are, are the, the Bigfoot using them to go spy on people? Is it like a manifestation of energy? Like, mm. I need to know why I saw what I saw at the same time I was having Bigfoot activity. I've got a new theory for you, too, um, as a tease to the second, to the sequel. The latest theory I've heard about orbs is that the orbs are the spirits of the deceased Bigfoot. And the deceased Bigfoot are capable of you know moving around in the form of orbs and or doing the cloaking and you know some of these other different things because they're beings that are able to like to upset transition between worlds mm-hmm. um i don't know i'm throwing that out there that came from an interview that we recently did in vermont mm-hmm. um and I'm, i've been thinking about that a lot lately it's different than uh, the theory that Simeon Hine has, Dr. Simeon Hine, who we interviewed for the sequel, who thinks that, you know, these things are, are more related to, you know, they're like, it's a similar plasma energy to ball lightning. 
um, and cold fusion type nuclear energy, so on and so forth, that they're able to, to manipulate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's related to dark matter. Dark matter is supposedly the most prevalent form of matter in the universe, yet science has never been able to measure it or detect it. They just think it's there. Right. So, yeah. I, just to throw some more wood on the fire. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we know, to me, and this is how I keep myself open-minded, <clears throat> is that I know that we all give off vibrations. We are all made of energy. I know that as an empath, whenever somebody's vibe is off, I can tell. Um, I can tell. I know that it affects things around us. It affects plants. It affects the health of those around us. It affects our own health. Um, And that's what kind of keeps me open-minded to the fact that maybe they can manipulate energy like that. Or if not Bigfoot, there are beings out there that can manipulate energy and maybe transport themselves through that or um, transport, even if they transport their, not necessarily their essence, but even their, what's Mm -hmm. the word I'm looking for? Maybe their essence, I guess, is the word I'm looking Mm -hmm. for. But if they can Mm -hmm. transport, you know, telepathically even. Yeah. um, Kind of like remote viewing. We know that that's a thing. Um, Not everybody can do it. And I think it would be kind of like that to me. That's kind of the theory that I've heard mm-hmm. along the lines of orbs is kind of remote viewing or something along those lines. Jamie's so excited right now. This is so much in his wheelhouse. <laughs> I love this. Well, you know, it's like, it's something I brought up to somebody recently uh, about the paranormal. And I said, you know, let's take a step back and take a look at some of these, some of the animals in the animal kingdom that can do incredible things that if a human could do, would seem to be paranormal, you know, mm-hmm. lightning bugs. Um, there's a cuttlefish that literally looks like it was bought yeah. from an electronic market from, you know, like Asia or something because it's mm-hmm. got multicolored LEDs that cycle. Mm-hmm. You know, there's fish that have flashlights that hang down, that angle, that light up. There's animals that can electrocute you. You know what right. I mean? I mean, if a human being could do that kind of a thing, we would just automatically throw that into a paranormal box. You know what I mean? Right. It's like... So there's there's definitely examples of this kind of stuff in nature, and I don't know why we keep forgetting about that. You know, the, right. the cuttlefish. Mm-hmm. The, the I don't know if you guys have seen the cuttlefish that, um, you know, it's like it's like sitting in a cooler, and it's black, and the guy picks it up, and it immediately turns the color of the air. You know, it's like just mm-hmm. invisible. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. instantaneously. Um, yeah. So there's just so many, you know, and we've seen, um, Jill and Mike and I, we've seen Mm Eyeshine. And we have no way to explain that. And we tried everything to, you know, when we're looking at it, we're just sitting there trying to debunk it. We're not going, ooh, wow, Eyeshine. We're like, okay, how's that being done? Where's the house lights? You know what I mean? You're not like thinking, oh, wow, glowing eyes. And, um, you know, I was able to get an image of it and I slowed it down and I can see the the eye closing. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, How are they generating this? So bioluminescence is another thing that's a, an amazing phenomenon that nobody, you know, that people don't really uh, apply to that. But the the eye shine that I've seen around my mom's house, and it was actually she had told me about it, and it's not that I didn't believe her, but I was like, well, I don't know. But she said on full moon nights. <clears throat> 
and and afterwards that the eye shine that she sees is kind of a soft bluish white but it's not bright it's not like you look out there and there's two little flashlights looking at you it's a soft and she can see when they look down the ground would light up in front of them just a soft very softly and it oh, was wow. like i don't know if you've seen the military flashlights where it's got the green glow in the dark inside and mm-hmm. so you can turn off your flashlight and it emits a soft glow mm-hmm. it was like that and i i heard her she told me about it and i was like oh okay well that's different you know just kind of like oh, i don't know until i saw it until i saw the soft bluish white glow and then noticed it moving around the porch to where I could see it. And then I saw the outline of a Bigfoot and then the moon went away and it went away. Mm. If I hadn't seen that eye shine with my own eyes, I'm not sure if, if I would have believed it, but it was there and it, it on certain nights, it would light up the ground in front of them with a soft glow, which I, I can't explain naturally. I can't say, you know, that was a, light coming off the leaves or reflection from the pond or you know i could try but then i'm just talking myself out of what i saw instead of embracing like okay maybe i saw what i saw and i can't explain it but it was there swamp gas you can't explain it it's swamp gas it's swamp Mm -hmm. gas it's uh always swamp gas it's a bear it was a bear in southeast texas it was a bear yeah swamp gas you know the way i've heard witnesses (laughs) describe it is almost a dirty color they say it's a it's a soft glow, but it had a dirty essence to it. Like mm-hmm. it was a dirty green or a dirty blue or a dirty yellow. So it just kind of cuts off that glare quality. But the fact that you could see the ground glowing, mm-hmm. you know, that el- elicits the fact that there was light coming out, you know, that's, not a reflection. And that's the thing that got me was that it was emitting light, not yeah. it was catching the light off the moon or catching the light off the porch and reflecting it back at us. It was emitting its own light. Yeah, And it, she said that she's only had that happen during like a full moon time or briefly after the full moon. Um, but I mean, it was a thing that mm. happened. I've had orange, kind of an orangish eye shine before that I've seen. And I've had um, recently kind of a, I guess, a white eye shine oh, um, yeah. that we we saw recently um, in southeastern Oklahoma and we actually got pictures of it. It was pretty exciting. My my friend popped up a camera, old school digital camera, and he's very old school, so it matches his personality. And he just snapped four pictures just with the flash, snap, 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 because we had heard movement. And while we were all watching where he was flashing, it was nothing, nothing, two eyes, nothing, nothing. And then when we looked at the pictures, we got one eye as it was turning and they were white. And I, I don't know why they have different colored eyes, I guess, just like we do, but um, different colored eye shine, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Lauren, you're in Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. we got some company out there. Of course, um, you know, um, Arla Williams is out that way, as well as mm-hmm. um, the property owner, the old property owner of the Al Moon Lab, Daryl yeah. Adams, just moved really? back out to Oklahoma. And awesome. so um, we'll have to give him an archive episode of this here. Definitely, definitely uh, send him the link. Um, Arla was one of the first that we heard that was kind of venturing into the woo. Um, Arla and there were a few others that if you said their name, they had such a stigma with their name because they were they embraced the woo um, and didn't really care what anyone else thought, which, you know, if, Mm -hmm. if you're so convicted that what you're seeing is what you know, your truth. 
um, that you stand in that, you know, that's kind of what Arla did. Um, mm -hmm. And she changed a lot of lives with that because she talked to a lot of people about what she saw and she wasn't scared to talk about it, which is kind of amazing. Right. Why don't you talk to that, yeah. Brett? Arla's in this documentary. Yeah. So, and, you know, Arla is in A Flash of Beauty and she'll be in the sequel. Um, and we, Jill and I, were lucky enough to be able to spend the day with her. We wish we could have spent more time with her in Oklahoma, but um, it was all the time we had, unfortunately. And, you know, one of the stories that Arla tells is about a, you know, I won't get into it too much, but there was a man who came up from Texas who was interested in, um, in seeing the Bigfoot on her property. And he kind of wandered off into the woods and it's pitch black. And the next thing he knows, there she is. There's Arla kind of standing next to him. And he's just, well, how did you know where to find me? And she says, well, they told me where you were. And from that point forward, it gets really, really interesting. We interviewed the man and we got mm -hmm. Arlo's side of the story. But um, yeah, we and, and she handles it so matter-of-factly. That's mm -hmm. what we loved about it. You know, it yeah. just is what it is. Yeah. You know, the, you can't explain it, but this is what happens. This is what she observes. And it is what it is, you mm -hmm. know? She's been doing, she's been living her truth for a very long time. Mm -hmm. for Absolutely. a very long time and a lot of people support her a lot yeah yeah, yeah which is amazing um so the documentary how the indigenous culture portion um that that supports the documentary how did you guys go about that portion like who did you interview um which tribes because i know different tribes have different beliefs um Around here, the Cherokee believe that they are baby eaters. They would have treaties mm. with them, offer them food in exchange for not eating their babies and women. Um, the Navajo believe, you know, you don't talk about it. It's taboo. It's not a topic that you talk about. You don't talk about the shadow people. Um, so just kind of, I know that your documentary includes the indigenous culture and their beliefs. So how did you guys go about that? Well, we went about it the best way we could, and that was just really talking to folks, um, indigenous folks here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we wanted to go deeper, but unfortunately, we just weren't in that position at the time with the film. And thankfully, you know, since the film come, has come out, we've been entrusted with some more indigenous folks. And so we hope to expand upon their stories further in the future. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the culture is so strong here in the Northwest, especially the Northwest Coast natives, all the way up through Vancouver Island and whatnot. That's, and that's, we, we concentrated more on them, on the Kawaka Waka Wakas. I know I'm totally not saying that right. <laughs> um, and Toad can talk a little bit about this too, but uh, we wanted to concentrate on them because they have them on their totems and they're at the bottom of the totem and the thing at the bottom of the totem is the most important thing. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, this is, these are definitely cultures that are, that are really celebrating. Well, maybe celebrate is not the right word. Um, just really a part of, you know, Sasquatch is very much a part of their, their culture and their bringing upbringing and for the, for the kids and everything else. And so we immediately wanted to start there. And so we started with Mel Skahan, who was more or less a non-believer um, yeah. until he started having, you know, these things happen to him when he was out in the woods managing the Yakima forest area. Mm -hmm. So um, 
Mel was great, and Mel will have some more stuff to say in the sequel. But uh, awesome, I've had him yeah. on the show before. <laughs> oh, he's fantastic! Yeah. He's yeah. fantastic. So we, yes. like I said, I mean, we could we could have done a whole documentary series just on indigenous cultures, and and this this goes for you know all tribes across the United States, mm-hmm. from Southern California to British Columbia, all across Canada, all across the Midwest to Florida to the Northeast. I mean, there's no exceptions to any culture that we've found that doesn't have Sasquatch or Bigfoot in their um, backgrounds. That's amazing. I think the hard part to me is getting them to talk about it with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I've tried several times over the years. Um, I actually had a client recently who worked for the Bureau of Investigations. um, I'm sorry, Bureau Bureau of Indian Affairs and Mm -hmm. um, was raised in the life. And I kind of broached the topic very gently. And he just kind of looked at me and he was like, oh, nice. And he's he's a traditional storyteller and he's Mm. also a genealogist. And so he has all these documents from his tribe and he does all this genealogy and historical archiving. And I'm like, okay, so he has to know something. And he just kind of looked at me just really blank, like, I couldn't tell if he just had an amazing poker face or he honestly mm. just didn't know what I was talking about. And I can't imagine that he didn't know Mm-mm. what I was referring to in regards to his tribe specifically, you know? So I think it's just a trust thing. Definitely. Yeah. Most of the time is they just, you, they, you have to earn their trust and know mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to shout right. them yeah. out. And Yeah. I, what we're really interested right now is, um, in fact, I've got a phone call coming up in a few minutes um, in this regards that you know, we're talking to people up in Alaska right now about getting some stories up in Alaska because there there are so many different indigenous tribes. Alaska is almost the size of the continental United States um, that it's kind of like they're never ending stories. Doesn't matter where you are. Well, I should say south of the Arctic Circle, but you don't even need to go that far south of the mm-hmm. Arctic Circle until you start running into um, all kinds of different people that have seen seen them. Um, we had a guy call when Tobe and I were on coast to coast. We had a guy that called us up and he said, you know, I'm a gold miner up there. I'm just south of the Arctic Circle or just north of the Arctic Circle, right around there. And he goes, I've seen them bunches of times. I've had indigenous folks come and give me tours of the land and we've seen them together. And, um, you know, we ended up talking to this guy off air and getting a bunch more stories about the activity that's up there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, Daryl, who's in our film had an incredible sighting in Western Alaska of a hairy man. So that's, that's really where we kind of want to like, you know, and I think there's, there's been mutual interest obviously with Alaskan killer Bigfoot, which I wasn't a mm-hmm. huge fan of just because of the yeah. way they, did it you know i felt like that was that sensationalistic Mm -hmm. um, situation and we're we want to go back into it and take maybe take another look at that area but that's another show so yeah well i mean that's you guys are kind of so we have the sensational shows right and then we have people Mm -hmm. like you and i that are bringing in the other side of it the real side the the less flashy side um so you know nod to sasquatch chronicles they have witness yeah. encounters. They are fantastic. They are out of control. Amazing. Um, I just had Bigfoot researchers on and everyone's like, well, why don't you have witness encounters? They're so good. And I'm like, um, every Bigfoot researcher is a witness, first of all. And second, 
I'm I'm looking to solve this mystery. And, you know, Sasquatch Chronicles does their piece with the sensationalism. They do their piece of um, every, you know, what I say is it's it's the sum of all the parts. So it's yeah. it's not just this witness in California. It's not just a witness in Florida. It's that there are thousands and thousands of witnesses that lend, lend credence to this phenomena being real. So I do my part with the less flashy Bigfoot researchers who are out in the field, finding the data, the evidence, exploring different options as you guys are doing and bringing that to light. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have one more question. Give me a second. I have to go find it again. If anybody else <laughs> has a question, let me know. put it in my notes over here give me a second no problem okay well okay so how do you guys you you have all these people giving you encounters right and you have these these people that have had multiple multiple encounters and have habituation kind of situations how do you guys vet your people that you're interviewing for your documentary for your books you know that kind of thing how do you vet them to make sure that they're not just wanting their five minutes of fame or they're not that shit crazy <laughs> um that's a great question um fortunately we haven't run across too many people that have just been complete whack jobs if you will um and there and there are complete whack jobs in every aspect of life they're at the grocery store they're at your church <laughs> they're everywhere they're probably in my house right now i'm just kidding um are you though? i could be one of them myself um <laughs> But um, to answer your question is, is you just, you just kind of, you get a feeling. Mm -hmm. We do kind of a pre-interview on the phone, you know, okay. so we'll, we'll get the story on the phone and then we'll go out and we'll do the interview. Um, and if it, you know, if we go out there and we spend a day, you know, doing interviewing somebody and we feel like that, that, that person may be stretching the truth or they're, they've got ulterior motives, then we're not going to, we're not going to put it in the, the film. Um, you know, you, you, kind of after we've, you know, we back up for a second. So part of what we do as a production company is we do videos for, you know, companies, small businesses and large businesses and stuff. And you do interviews with people and you just start to develop a feeling after 10, 15 years of doing that. of when somebody's lying to you or when they're telling you the mm -hmm. truth and you can see it in their eyes, you know, first and foremost, when somebody's lying to you, they'll dart, they'll look around, they won't look at you. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see body language and stuff like that. Um, so you just really just kind of pick up on that, you know, is this person being honest with me or not? Do they have anything to gain? Um, you know, so on and so forth. So that's, that's basically, basically how we do it. Okay. Awesome. I just wanted to make like, kind of clear that up because a lot of people are going to yeah. say, you know, they could have anyone and everyone on this documentary and it's, you know, it's, um, it's just like when you vet someone for a regular investigation, you have to mm -hmm. interview them and you have to look for those cues, those micro exp expressions, you know, um, changing their story. That's another mm -hmm. one that, you know, kind of comes out. They change their story. I've, I found a, there's been a few hoaxers that I've known in the Bigfoot world and their stories change. Um, and it's just, it, it's hard sometimes to tell, um, and I think, have you guys come across, last question, I promise. Have you guys come across people that think they have something, but in your opinion, it's not, mm. it wasn't really, it didn't qualify. It wasn't really that. 
Because I've come across that a lot, a lot. Yeah. I've had people come up and show me pictures, and I'm like, unfortunately, that is a bird. Um, <laughs> hate to be that person, but I don't want you to show mm -hmm. other people and say this is Bigfoot. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean that's 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 part of the the weeding out process, and you know it's part of learning and getting to know the phenomena. Sometimes it takes years to debunk something. Mm -hmm. You know, I still find stuff from the Al Moon Lab where I'm going back to research and saying, well, you know, maybe I could discount that now that yeah. I know that, you know, it makes this sound and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you just got to humble yourself and hopefully the people that you're working with humble themselves along with you. And it's nothing personal, but I don't think that ever really um, happened to the degree where I lost a friendship over it or anything like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's important to serve the truth and, and people need to be understanding of that and we you know we try and be upfront with that you know i've we've definitely i mean we've been shown hundreds of videos and photos and so on and so forth that we've looked at and gone no you know this is probably so on and so forth um and i and and as far as that's concerned i want to address you know something that we had a controversy in our film you know we had some photographs at the end of our film when our film first came out that a lot of people questioned um and we interviewed rachel who took the photographs and I said to her during the interview, I said, this looks like a guy in a suit, you know, because the, the photos that she took from her experience in Alaska, it looked like a man in a suit. And I said, do you think it is? And she said, no, no, not after what I saw, not after the way it moved, not after living in Alaska for five years and knowing how far out in the tundra he was and how hard it is to walk in the tundra and knowing we only have the, the only plane in town. And she listed off all of these different reasons as to why she didn't think it was a guy in a suit. And mm -hmm. we made the ultimate decision to leave her story in the film because, again, after that interview um, and, and based on what her father had seen a year prior, um, we felt like Rachel saw something that she couldn't explain. And, and it took, took her from a skeptic to a believer. So she had a right. transition transitional period in her life after that experience and so we mm -hmm. chose to leave the photos in the film and let the audience decide unfortunately the audience instantly said that was a, a costume that was purchased on amazon so on mm -hmm. and so forth and then we went and we found some details that, that that were very similar but very different at the same time so on and so forth long story short we ultimately felt like it was in the best interest of the rest of the film and those that participated in the rest of the film to remove rachel's controversial photos yeah. and then maybe come out with a special edition later on. But mm -hmm. um, we were skeptical when we saw them, but there was definitely some things that were very um, Bigfoot-like in, mm -hmm. you know, in her encounter. And it would have been wrong for us to have just featured her encounter and left out the photos. Right. You know, we were trying to be very upfront, mm -hmm. very honest. Um, we wanted to be able to just, you know, again, just put it out there and see what people think. And even still today, I mean, I saw a comment on YouTube today where, Somebody said, who's to say that they don't look like that in that yeah. part of Alaska? Yeah. You know, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that we don't know. We don't know if that was a guy in a suit. We don't know mm -hmm. if it was a, an actual Bigfoot. We don't know if it was a juvenile. Um, I saw a picture of an eagle the other day taking off and the eagle completely looked like it was wearing pants that you would buy <laughs> like off the rack yeah. at, you know, Walmart. I mean, it just looked like it was wearing pants. It was the funniest pitch thing I've ever seen. And I thought, that, okay, so, so that occurs in nature. Long story short, you know, um, maybe sometime in the future we will re-release that segment. But Rachel does have a tremendous amount of supporters and folks that believed right. in her. But 
she um we will also wanted to protect her too and she was kind right. of at the point where she was kind of getting a little freaked out yeah. by some folks and so we're like okay let's yeah let's just backtrack a little bit yeah I yeah. mean, you guys do your due. <clears throat> it sounds like you guys do your due diligence. You interview, you vet, you review, you do everything you can. Um, and this is not about Rachel. This is about anybody that's on your show, mm -hmm. on your documentary. If they're lying, you've done your due diligence and the rest is on them. Yeah. You, all yeah. you can do and in, in what we do and what I do and what you guys do, all you can do is hope and pray that someone has integrity vet them to the best of your ability and put the information out there. And uh, we've had several, several over the years that we've had on our show that have turned out to be hoaxers. And it is so hard um, going through these archive videos that my mom has been doing for me and trying to get these archive videos up. We're coming across some that we cringe. We cringe so hard and we're like, do we put that back out there knowing that they're liars, knowing yeah. that they fabricated this? Um, you know, it's so hard. And we've, we've had friends over the years that have come out as hoaxers and it's like, it's, but we, we did our due diligence at the time. We vetted them. We interviewed them. That's all you can do. Um, and I think you guys are doing your due diligence and that you can't control if people are liars or, or, or mm -hmm. embellishing even, or if they had an experience that they truly believe was something, you know? Yeah. Even if we oh, a hundred percent. We have a, we have an interview coming up in the sequel that um, I, frankly, I told the guy, I said, look, if two of you had not seen what you'd seen, mm -hmm. And these are very, very reputable people. I mean, the one, the, the one guy, the one eyewitness owns a major construction company down on the southern coast of Oregon, you know, and he's got big clients. He does big jobs. And I said, if you hadn't have seen this with somebody that, that you trusted, that you worked with in this, you would not be in the sequel. Their, their sighting is that incredible. And mm -hmm. it's going to stir up a lot of folks. And I know I'm teasing people. You're going to have to wait. But <laughs> you are. <laughs> It's, That's all right. it's still to this day, one of the, probably the craziest thing I've ever heard of or seen, mm -hmm. but both of those guys were there. They know what they saw. Um, he's, he's probably never going to do another interview ever again because he yeah. he did the interview. He says this on camera. He says, I'm doing this because humanity needs to know about this. We saw right. this in broad daylight, 10 o'clock on a Monday morning down the street from my house. These things exist. You have no idea. Um, so, yeah, I mean, having that second person mm -hmm. is so key. Mm -hmm. Oh, so yeah. Key. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've talked to my mom about that before. She'll, uh, we research a lot of times off her porch. She lives in the middle mm -hmm. of the woods. Um, it's a very secluded area and she's had a lot of activity on her property. Mm -hmm. And so we'll turn out all the lights and sit on her porch and just kind of hang out and see what happens. And sometimes she'll get up when it gets kind of, we're getting some activity. It's getting kind of hairy and she'll get up and go to the bathroom. And I'm like, you're leaving me out here with the dog. If I have a sighting, like the dog's not going to be able to corroborate my sighting. What are you, you yeah. have to stay here. <laughs> but I tell her, I'm like, I refuse to have my first sighting without somebody else there because the first thing you do is try to talk yourself out of it. And I need that other person to say, no, you saw what you saw. <laughs> yeah. So yep. mm -hmm. also I might get scared and try to run away and I need people to hold me down and make me watch it. But, <laughs> um, all right. So we, uh, Tobe, one question from JB. He mm -hmm. said, do you have any connections to Marley woods in Missouri? It's another skinwalker ranch type of place. No, I'm, I'm writing that down. JB. I, I don't know anything right. about that. 
I'm going to pop it up on the screen for you so you uh -huh. can check the spelling and such. Okay. Marley Woods. Interesting. Marley Woods. No, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, JB runs Bigfoot Society podcast. It's a fantastic show. And um, he has a lot of great guests on there, but he also has a lot of amazing listeners that ask great questions or bring up great things. So um, if you guys are looking for people to interview also, um, okay. he's kind of a font of information now. So, all right. Thank cool. you guys so much for coming on tonight. One more time, thank shout you. out where people can find A Flash of Beauty. So A Flash of Beauty right now is on Amazon.com. So Amazon, if you rent it on Amazon, you don't get commercials. But if you go to Tubi, T-U-B-I.com, if you haven't heard of it, uh, you can watch it with commercials. Of course, okay. we recommend it without commercials because you don't want to watch commercials. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I understand everybody's got, you know, different needs and desires and so on and so forth. But So you can go there. Um, we just got this today. This is... Um, copy of the blu-ray awesome. so you can buy it on blu-ray dvd um they are saying sold out but there's a couple of places that have them and we're trying to get more made for folks that want to actually own the physical disc which i like i like having something yeah. that i can mm -hmm. hug or fall asleep with or <laughs> you know carry around and hand out to people carry exactly exactly yeah. so yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's out there it's also it's also um you can rent it on youtube it's on Xbox. It's not hard to find. iTunes, uh, just Google it and you'll find it. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on tonight. I really appreciate you coming on such short notice also. You're welcome. Um, Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> All right. So I wish you guys luck with your sequel. I'm sure it's going to be just as amazing as the first, if not more so. And I really want to thank you guys for doing what you do. All right. Thank thanks, you so much. Lauren. Really appreciate All it. Right. All right. I'm going to minimize you guys. I'll be right back. Have a good night. You too. All right. Thank you, everybody, for coming on tonight and watching Tobe and Brett. They are amazing at what they do, and I'm very thankful that we have people out there that are trying to get the information across. So thank, thank you again to them, and thank you to you for supporting Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. If you could, again, like and subscribe, hit that thumbs up, give me a heart reaction, um, and drop a comment as to what you thought about the show. Also, don't forget, I am uploading Nightcaller's Archives episodes. These are the very first episodes of Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Back when we did things a little bit differently than we do now, with all new hosts that we had back in the day, these are great information. Things were a lot different back then, and you can kind of hear where the Bigfoot community started in podcasting to where it is now. So you guys stay safe, be kind, and I will see you all next time.